0: Welcome to The Sleep Edit, a podcast devoted to helping tired kids and parents sleep better. We focus on actionable, evidence-based sleep advice so everyone in your home can sleep through the night. Now, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast and any associated video content are at the user's own risk. The content on this show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay obtaining medical help for any medical condition they have or that their children may have. They should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Nothing stated here reflects the views of our employers or the employees of our guests. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the sleep edit, where we talk about all things kids sleep. Today, we're going to talk about the thorny topic of cry it out or CIO. I would like to introduce my co-host Arielle Greenleaf. Arielle is a certified pediatric sleep consultant with nearly a decade of experience. She's a common sense, evidence-based approach, and really brings in something that I don't have. Specifically, it was working with a lot of people and children without health issues. She's helped hundreds of families through one-on-one and group coaching, and through corporate benefit programs. She's trained and mentored more than fifty sleep consultants through her consultant training program. So, do you have like consultant? grandchildren now have your consultants went out and made more consultants
1: no, no no one that i trained has started their own training program but they have definitely become some of them have become very successful sleep consultants
0: let's talk about a topic that people love everybody loves doing this talking about it right it's super popular true story when i wanted to call my book the bedtime habit cuz i'm like oh we're talking about habit psychology conditioning and i didn't want sleep training in the title the reason mm. is sleep training as a term has a certain valence to it that's because everybody thinks sleep training is just extinction sleep training sometimes abbreviated as cio and there's some controversy about that which we're going to get into and of course my book agent was like you have to have sleep training in the title because it's a sleep training book and otherwise nobody will even know what it's about so that's how i ended up with the title as i Existed online for the last ten years, unless I post something about vaccines, this tends to generate the most controversy, though I feel like it was worse eight or ten, eight years ago. I don't know. i do you feel like cry it out is a topic that still generates as much heated debate as it is? I don't know, I don't,
1: I don't. yeah, I think there's this rise of gentle parenting, which I feel morphed from attachment parenting. So anytime there is a possibility of a child crying, that is a trigger for people. And so in my world, it is definitely still very dividing and it's still a hot topic.
0: So do you think we're going to get a little bit into attachment and stuff like that for the purposes of keeping this simple? Should we call this cry it out? Should we call it extinction sleep training? I think extinction sleep training is more precise.
1: I think the thing is that Parents, any time a child is going to cry, they call it cry it out. Like I've seen plenty of people call Ferber cry it out. So it's important to define the different sure. types of sleep training. Extinction, like Ferber, chair method. And it's also important to talk about different temperaments because Ooh. parents will try to choose a gentle method. And it actually only makes the baby or child more upset because the parent is sitting there but not giving them what they're used to, feeding, rocking, bouncing, whatever it is. And so in those cases, I find that parents, once they're in it, parents are like, oh, okay, yeah, this is not working. This is making it worse. So it's important to understand that just because you choose something that's considered gentle doesn't mean that it's actually genital. When you're picking
0: a sleep training method, it's about goodness of fit for your child. And parents sometimes have a feel for what's going to work. If I'm seeing someone in clinic, I'll present a couple of different options. And I usually have an opinion about what I think they should do. Yeah. But they'll have a feel for, how do you think this would work for your child? How does this work for you? So I just want to go through a few quick definitions. And then maybe we'll talk about attachment theory and temperament.
1: Yeah, that's fine.
0: Um, So sleep training is just means any behavioral method to improve your child's sleep. There's one called positive bedtime routines, which is so obvious, but if you don't have a set routine your child enjoys, you should have one. That is a sleep training technique. And techniques that are often lumped together as cry it out are often behaviorally, what we would call extinction methods of sleep training. In behavioral terms, extinction means ignoring a behavior you dislike. More precisely, it refers to the gradual weakening and eventual disappearance of a previously learned behavior due to the lack of reinforcement. So in this example, the learned behavior is your child needing a parent to fall asleep and when they wake up during the night and by an extinction sleep training method, you are usually pretty quickly removing the parent from the equation. And this signaling, which is sometimes crying, in older kids that may be asking, yelling, what have you, for their parent, will go away with time. Like, the classic unmodified extinction is, okay, we are doing this now, I have been in your bedroom your whole life to fall asleep. Now I am leaving and closing the door, and I will see you in the morning. It's um, Modified Extinction, the most famous version of which is it was popularized by Dr. Ferber. So popular that his name became a verb. I don't know what, could we canipariize a
1: kid? Canipariize.
0: I just, it doesn't work. Greenleaf, you could greenleaf someone.
1: Greenleafizing. And
0: then Ariel alluded to the chair method, lots of different names for this. Cock in Australia called this camping out. I believe the sleep lady shuffle is also a chair kind of method. That is actually considered to be extinction with parental presence, meaning that you stay in your child's room, but ignore them. So you're present, you're not present. Now we can segue into temperament, right? How a chair method or camping out method. For some kids, it might work great and make them comfortable, and other kids is worse. Right? If you are considering one of these methods, do you want to talk a little bit about temperament? It's not something that I think about too much.
1: Yeah, I think temperament is important. So here's the thing: in my experience, when people come to me, they're not sh- they're coming to me because they don't know what to do. They haven't done this before. And so I think it's important for me to explain the different method. But again, a lot of times parents think one way is going to be better than another. And so the majority of parents want to start with the gentlest of methods, which would be camping out, chair method, sleep lady shuffle, <laughs> because parent is present. But. In some children, having the parent present while they're upset prolongs the crying, makes it even worse because the parent is sitting there, they can see them, but the parent is not doing anything to help them, not doing the same things that they're used to. I find that camping out can be really helpful for two and a half, three-year-olds and up. But that being said, when people are coming to me, they're at the end of their rope. They have already tried being in the room with the child. They've been in there for two hours, three hours, and it doesn't work. And parents will try the camping out method. They'll go in with their three-year-old and the three-year-old just, it makes it, they used to fall asleep at nine and now she fell asleep at 11 because I was there. And so I think the temperament thing is about setting boundaries. Sometimes the parent being there is not setting enough of a boundary for them to learn to settle themselves without the parent there, which is the ultimate goal.
0: So how would a parent know? What clues might give you about how their temperament might make some one of these general methods less effective for them?
1: I don't think they do know. They have a lot of assumptions. And so a lot of people with infants will come to me and say, my baby is so high needs. This baby's going to cry for five hours straight or all night long. I have literally never had that happen ever. I have, however, had parents who stay in the room and that extends things. I think it's really a trial and error thing. And parents start to see pretty quickly that, oh, wait, this method is not working for me at all. (laughs) Bedtime just got even harder and longer. and the kid was even more upset. So I think we can see within a night or two if something's working or not, and if we have to move on to something else.
0: I, I think I want to circle back to that, but that's such an important point is that your kids will not be crying for weeks and weeks with this. No. And if they are, something's wrong. I give you permission to stop yeah. and press pause and plan again. I just want to quickly talk about why this idea of cried out is controversial. Attachment yeah. theory came out, I think, in the 50s and 60s. Two scientists named Mary Ainsworth and John Bowlby. And it's essentially the idea that it focuses on the connection between parent and child, but it could also be between romantic partners. But they were looking at child development. And it was really the idea that you should show your child affection and comfort them if they were upset. And this is so obvious to us now, but in the 50s, when they were doing this work, there was this idea that if you comfort your child, you would actually make them less independent and weaker. So I think it it was both their work and the work of Dr. Spock said, hey, no, actually if your kid falls down and skins their knee, you should comfort them. And They did a whole bunch of experiments with animals showing that this was a good idea. But this kind of morphs into uh, the idea of attachment parenting, which came out mm-hmm. of the work of Dr. William Sears and his wife, Martha Sears, who wrote the baby book. I think it came out first in 1990. And there were a couple of components to what they espoused. Bed sharing with your child throughout childhood, carrying your child everywhere, otherwise known as baby wearing and on-demand nursing. And... At the time that this came out, this was really an alternative to mainstream parenting. I think that throughout the 80s, you were having many more families where you had two parents, if it was a two-parent household, you had both parents in the workplace, as opposed to the very traditional structure of the man's at the office and the woman's home with the kids. And there was a feeling that people needed to do work on their bond with their child because it was very difficult for women who traditionally were expected to do everything in the home, and all of the child responsibilities were also now working outside of the home. There were working women. My grandmother worked full-time in the 40s and 50s, right? But that was not the sort of, the cultural norm. And you know, I agree with a lot of what the Sears espoused, the idea that you should pay attention to your child's need, do what you feel is right, But my problem with their philosophy was there was little room for the needs of the parents. There is this expectation the parents, especially mothers, were expected to soothe their children without limit. And this idea, I think, which was toxic, was that if your child was crying, it was actually... And they literally say that if you let your child cry too long, it will cause brain damage. They really... Or reference in work from like Russian orphanages where these kids were just never picked up for all of childhood, and they really had some developmental consequences. But that was not research that was based on somebody whose parents were appropriate and comforting, but the kids cried on occasion. My wife hates this anecdote that when I was writing this, my younger son was six, and he came to me crying because there was an ant on his donut. And I wasn't worried at the time that he was going to be brain damaged afterwards because kids cry, all the time. It's just the thing that they do, especially in infancy and younger childhood. And the reason my wife hates that story is it makes our house sound gross. And I'm like, no, sometimes they're ants. Donuts are covered with sugar. Anyway, sorry, honey, but you're probably not going to listen to this anyway. And Ariel, this is interesting. When did you think this kind of morphed into the idea of gentle parody? Because I will say compared to the early 2000s, I'm seeing a lot less baby-wearing and family bed than I used to. Um,
1: Oh, that's interesting. um,
0: Maybe because the people that come to me have already stopped doing that or they are perhaps looking for a more science-based approach, usually when things haven't worked out well for them in terms of now they've got a four-year-old who is nursing around the clock in the family bed and they want us to stop.
1: I think there's a big distinction about what you just said, though. (laughs) because some people, they're comfortable with having a four-year-old sleeping in bed with them and nursing around the clock. And I truly believe that what works for your family works for your family as long as everybody's safe and healthy. And so I know for a fact that cry it out or sleep training is not for everybody, and that's okay. We're here for people who need their sleep. Most of them have Two parents working, like you said, and sleep is essential for so many different reasons It's important for the parents in order to function at work, their relationship with one another and it's extremely important for the parent to be well rested enough to enjoy the company of their child because if you're sleep deprived, you're just flogging through every day, and in my experience the if a baby's sleep deprived they're going to seem more like I said, a lot of people come to me and they're like, Oh, my baby is so high needs. And once we get the baby sleeping, it's like they have a new child. Babies cry when they're hungry or they're tired or they need to be changed. And the tire thing really does play a huge role in how much the baby's crying. What I do know is that many studies have been done about what is the best way. Now, Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to judge people's parenting styles. I'm not going to say this is the best way and it's the only way. However, studies have shown that children in families where parents provide more boundaries and authoritative, not authoritarian (coughs) parenting gives the child an advantage moving forward to be more independent and self-assured and more confident. With gentle parenting, attachment parenting, they're finding that children are so dependent on their parents that they're unable to do things independently as they get older. I'm just sharing what the research has said. I think also the biggest thing, like you said, is that people will come to me and they'll say, I'm worried that my baby's going to be brain damaged. They actually want to see studies and understand the idea of what is the actual evidence. And people don't understand that the attachment theory, they were looking at broken attachment. Insecure
0: attachment. I'm, I should know this. Insecure um,
1: attachment. So they think that insecure attachment is going to come if they let their child cry at all. When in reality, the studies were in Siberian orphanages where these children were essentially abandoned. They had a dirty diaper and they were left dirty and crying. They were hungry and they were left hungry and crying. Not children that are otherwise healthy, cared for, and they're not abandoned. No, 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 I, they're getting attention.
0: I'd say that if you are like, if you were talking with your pediatrician about your concerns about your child's sleep, you're seeing a sleep consultant, you're reading a book about it, your child is probably not neglected. And you really have to look at the cost benefit of a short period of crying, because it generally is short, versus everybody in the house sleeping better. And sometimes people who are tired don't always make good judgments about what is the best use of their time and energy, right? When your energy Mm -hmm. is low, it's hard to imagine changing anything. So. I'd like to talk about extinction-based or cried out methods work and how quickly do they work. These are probably the best-studied sleep training techniques. They've been around since the 70s. Ferber didn't invent them, but he did do some of the research on them. And his book came out early in the 80s. A a friend of mine named Sarah Honaker, who's in Indiana, did this really nice study. It was essentially a quote-unquote real-world trial of sleep training. What that meant was... They didn't actually send a trainer to the house or something like that. They solicited mothers who were interested in pursuing sleep training, gave them information about how to do it, and then when they did it, they had them do sleep diaries for a couple of weeks afterwards. What they found was the peak of crying was generally the first day. The worst day of crying was maybe on average 35 to 45 minutes, and that... The crying was done within a week. After the peak of crying on day one or two, it was talking like five or ten minutes of crying. It works very quickly. It was a sidebar. Every pediatrician I know who sleep trained their kids just did extinction sleep training. And the reason is it's so quick. It's not easy to do because it's hard to listen to your child cry, but it's easy to understand. It's not an elaborate plan and we can talk about the, I think we talk about the mechanics of others in a little bit, but let's talk about the, this, I want to go into this concern. Does it hurt your child? There's no evidence that it does. And and Ariel made such a good point is that if everybody in your house is miserable all the time, I would say that's probably worse for your child than your child crying for an extra hour or two in their life, if you do this. (laughs) Because they're probably crying hundreds of hours anyway. The, uh, the it's developmentally normal for kids to cry. I think the best study on this was a little bit of an older study coming out of Australia called the Kids Sleep Study, and it followed kids for six years. And this is really the challenge with this sort of research, right? Like it's much easier to do a study over a month than it is for six years. And they were looking at people that had yeah. sleep training their children uh, before. It, two years of age, and they found that they slept better at two years and the mothers were less likely to be depressed. At six years, everybody's sleep was the same, whether or not they had sleep trained, and they looked specifically at the stress hormone cortisol, which if you read a lot of the sort of nuttier stuff about sleep training, brain damage your kid, they're like, oh, their cortisol grows up. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Your cortisol grows up for many different stressors in your life. It's a normal adaptive response.
1: Let me ask you a question about that, because one of the things that I've always read is that when you are overtired or you're sleep deprived, your cortisol is always at a higher level. Is that true? Well,
0: it tends to be higher and having high cortisol all the time in the context of chronic stress is a problem, right? Like people who are chronically elevated cortisol levels, it's one of the mechanisms that we think that chronic stress is related to poor health outcomes, in a lot of different Mm. dimensions. And actually, this is thought to be one of the mechanisms of why, for example, patients of individuals who are in minorities that have historically been disenfranchised actually live for less, they have shorter lifespans. They may have a higher incidence of chronic diseases like diabetes. But this isn't, cortisol is a hormone that your body makes to help you overcome stress. It's not good to have it elevated all the time. What I like about the baby sleep study is it puts the cortisol thing to rest. The kids at six years of age, their cortisols were the same as kids in sleep training. No higher incidence of behavioral problems, attachment issues, et cetera, with their parents. And the flip side is whether or not people were sleep trained, the majority of their kids were sleeping fine by six years. People would be like, oh, you must not like that result. It says that you don't have to sleep train. If you feel like, I'm annoyed that he cries once or twice a night, but it really doesn't, it's fine. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm functioning well. My kid's functioning well. But if you're thinking, my life is miserable because I haven't had a normal night of sleep for six months, it's okay to want to do something about that. There's so much guilt that parents have. Mm -hmm. But I think, yes, we should want our children to be happy and safe, but not at the expense of our physical and mental health. Because if we get broken down, we're going to be worse parents. It's just
1: a fact. Correct. Yeah. And I also think that we need to, so many studies coming out now that show how important sleep is to children and babies. People will often say, oh, the parent is being so selfish for sleep training. But that's not our society today. I would say... In every single case, once a parent gets the child sleeping, no matter what their age is, the child is so much better, happier, healthier. It's life-changing. It changed my life, which is why I do it. I have hundreds of emails and text messages. You truly saved my life. I never thought I would be here in just a short week of time. So I think we need to stop. Having the stigma around crying and, second of all, sleep training. I, and what would you do if your toddler said, I want chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And if you don't give me chocolate, I'm not eating. You wouldn't give them chocolate and they would probably get upset and they would cry. But if you continued to say, No, here's what you get, then within a couple of days, they would realize you're not getting, they're not getting chocolate for every meal because that's not healthy. Similarly, it's not healthy for anybody to be waking up multiple times a night once they get us to a certain age. I don't think we need to look at as sleep as a luxury. It needs to be looked at as a necessity.
0: Yeah. For everybody, really. Let me ask you this. Extinction sleep training methods. What's the age range that you apply them for?
1: Four months and up.
0: What's the, do you have a ceiling on that?
1: Oh, yeah, I do. In Most cases, as toddlers get older, the chair method or more parental presence can be helpful. That being said, there are some toddlers that you give them literally a centimeter and they're going to take a mile. So sometimes being there is never going to work. So you just need to check in. And there are other tools. I have a toolbox for toddlers and preschoolers, but I do think the older they get, the more it might be necessary for the parent to be present, but not in all cases.
0: I would agree. For the classic extinction stuff, infancy is where it's at. They need to be in a crib. They need to not be able to exit the room. Um, and I used to, from older kids, if you're getting a kid that's in a bed, an 18-month-old can cry for a lot longer than a five-month-old. Correct. It's going to be miserable. I'd move to other methods if I can. Let's talk about sleep training in the era of room sharing, because this has changed the game a little bit from a SIDS prevention standpoint. The recommendation now is room sharing, but not bed sharing for at least the first six months. When this recommendation first came out, I think it was in 2012. I was skeptical. The evidence that room sharing actually prevented SIDS, but there's been some more recent data that really does suggest that it's it's important to room share with your infant. Some places some countries the recommendation is for a year, some it's for through 6 months. 6 months is probably fine, but what would you say to a parent if okay, I've got a 5 or 6 month old, they are sleeping in my room. Yeah. How does that change the calculus of sleep training?
1: So I usually have I would say so many of the people that I work with are breastfeeding. <clears throat> and it's important to understand that when a breastfed baby is in proximity of their mother, they can smell their mother's milk. So I've never had this not work. I have mom move out of the room temporarily, dad can stay. And then once the sleep training is complete, mom moves back in. This child is no longer waking. And I try to move the baby out of the sight, Mm. move down to the end of the bed or something like that, so that it's not so tempting to see like their face. Because if you make eye contact, you know what that happens. Don't make eye eye contact. Don't make eye contact. But I've done this successfully 100% of the time. Anytime I've used that, it's worked. So if you ever work with a sleep consultant that tells you you have to move your child, you should fire them or not hire them. There are absolutely ways to keep the baby in the room. I agree with you. It's much easier if the child is not in the room. But like you said, as I found that study, I brought it to you, the more recent one, and you're like, let me look into this. And you're like, this is actually a pretty good study. I think that was up to six months showing that it is a protective factor for SIDS. And obviously anything we can do to protect a baby from SIDS is essential. (laughs) I just think it can be done. And I've Done it successfully many times.
0: Yeah. I think a visual barrier, a sound barrier, like a sound machine. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to put a curtain in your room or you don't have a place to position the baby, like this they must look like Chinese or Japanese screens you can get. You could give them like home goods or something like that and put them up just to create a visual barrier. So we've talked about age range. Who else might one of these extinction methods work well for?
1: If you want to know my opinion, I think everyone should use one of these methods because in what I've seen, they work as long as other things are in place. So you'll often hear people, I tried it for two weeks and it didn't work. But then you find out like the baby or the child hadn't taken any naps that day and went to bed at 11 o'clock at night. This baby is tired. They're crying and upset because they're just so worked up from not sleeping all day. So there have to be other pieces in place. You can't just use a method. Sleep training is not just about a method. So I personally think it's the least harsh. I know that sounds weird, but it, is, it works really quickly. It is always successful if everything's in place. It doesn't give some sort of weird temptation to the child because I almost feel like being in the room but not giving them the things that they're used to is more harsh it's almost like dangling a dog treat over a dog but th- you're not going to give it to them so that being said i support parents in whatever feels right to them and i'm always open to doing that in many cases they discover very quickly that's actually more upsetting to the child
0: yeah they know in a day or two i know with my kid that just didn't work
1: let me ask you this no same with
0: And that going back to that example of you had of a baby the parents were like, for two weeks, it's not working and the kid's not napping during the day. Where should they start?
1: By hiring a sleep consultant. Yeah. But what would you do? Um, and
0: I'm, again, I know it's hypothetical, but
1: what would... what? Yeah, sure. I think if you don't have the right age-appropriate schedule in place, it is absolutely not going to work. These influencers say your baby is six months, these are the wake windows that you need. And they try those wake windows and it's not working. And they're like, why isn't this working? Is there something wrong with my baby? Is there something wrong with me? And I think the majority of people that come to me have a child that's outside of those wake windows that they're seeing on Instagram and TikTok. So schedule is really important, but it can be very nuanced. And that can really lead to Failure if it's not right for your child. But schedule is important, routine is important, making sure that you're not having the child fall asleep in your arms, on the breast, on a bottle, in the car, making sure that they're they know where they are falling asleep because when they wake up, they'll be like, okay, this is where I fell asleep. So I think routine is essential and making sure that the child is falling asleep independently. Which is the goal. That's why you use a method. But also, the schedule without a good schedule in place, people set up for failure.
0: I, I feel like we should do an episode. Like we've talked about a napping episode because I know naps gave us the fits. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially with my older son. But uh, it's so hard to make specific prescriptions because every kid's a little bit different. But it's, I'm curious to hear I your think, so We could go through the first year of life and what parents should expect and trying to do at those different ages because. Uh, Honestly, I can tell you, and, uh, and this is a problem with medical training. We're not, we, we don't learn a lot about healthy sleep in a practical way.
1: Mm. Naps are always harder. You know? They just are. I think just from a, you're talking about hormones, melatonin is, the sun goes down, the melatonin naturally releases, we get sleepy. That's not happening at nap time. Some kids just are not good nappers. So understanding what to do if they're not good nappers and you're trying to push them to a later bedtime, that has caused trouble for many of the people that I've worked
0: with. Yeah, I think it, it's it's really so hard. I know when I wrote my book, when I wrote an article about this, I'm like, it's it, naps are hard. But let's really hard. that for later. Who is extinction sleep training for? You talked about being for infants. It's for parents that want to do a fix quickly, right? If they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going back to, I'm going back to work. Yeah. I want to do this. That's a good fit. And really, it's for parents who can deal with some degree of crying. And yes. it's okay if you can't. And in, in my house, I have a certain amount of tolerance for kids crying, especially as resident where we have been doing IVs, blood draws, all this stuff all the time. Is it different when it's your own kid? Yes. But my wife, I in retrospect, one of the things I would have done differently with my older son, who. For him, and, and I put this in my book and my worst review on Amazon, you guys can look it up, is someone saying, Me just telling my truth, which was night one, my older son, who is a stubborn kid, he cried for he cried for, I don't know, for 90 minutes or two hours. Night two, we yeah. cried for 20 minutes. Night three, we were done. And right. if I known that was gonna play out, what would I have done differently? I might have adjusted his bedtime a little bit and I might I probably would have sent my wife out to the movies.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. But and I, I having help is important. I think you bring up a good point there because I think having help and if there's one parent, I always find that there's one parent that's a little more sensitive. And if you're able to enlist the help of a partner, a grand, even grandparent, anybody who you feel could support you if you're not comfortable with it or vice versa, that makes a big difference. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's not always the mom that has a harder time with the crying. In fact, often it's, it's your true. dad having that conversation and just being like, okay, I'm going to, you're going to go out and see your friends or have an activity. Yeah. You make a play date for your partner so they can go out. Yeah. uh, What are the pitfalls of this sleep method?
1: Oh, that's hard. I honestly don't feel like it's a very difficult thing to mess up. I think one thing, okay, so here's one thing. If they if you're using like a Ferber method, so a modified cry it out <clears throat> modified extinction. I do not go in the room unless the child is full on crying. Don't go check on a baby that's just fussing or kicking around or grunting here and there, like starting to cry, but then stopping and then starting again. The- they're learning. I find that a lot of times parents will go in even if the child isn't oh my god, yeah, crying or making any noise. And they're just kicking around. And that's when I'm like, put your video monitor away. Because if the child is content in their crib, there's no reason to go in if they're awake. You can't force them to fall back asleep. Yep. So I think parents screw it up by just going in too much. Get, babies are very smart. And so are <laughs> toddlers. Turn there, so they turn can, their pants. Yeah. They're much smarter than we give them credit for. And they catch on quickly. If we are consistent, it's difficult to be consistent when you're tired. And it's difficult, like you said, to hear a child cry. You just have to put your game face on and be ready. As long as you follow my instructions well, you're gonna succeed. If you go rogue,
0: then <laughs> I can't help you. I'd say that, yeah, be consistent. I think having a clear plan, like I, I've seen parents be like, it is they decide at 10 o'clock at night that they're gonna sleep train their child. Right. Because yeah. they have just had it. And then yes. they do it a weird way and it doesn't work. Problem with doing doing a plan that isn't really a good one. Again, the plans don't have to be complicated. You could read a book or a blog right. post and come up with a plan, but not having a plan at all and just winging it is that you're inconsistent. And then a lot of times these behavioral methods, if you do it halfway and it doesn't really work, then it's going to be less effective the next go around.
1: Yeah. So I'd right. say give
0: yourself the best chance to do it. Have a clear plan. I just think of the two parents. You ever see the modern family episode where they're sleep training? It's, I need to It's it. the two dads with their daughter and one of one of oh. uh, the real sort of order rules based guy is trying is like just wants to do this so badly and Cam, the more emotional, like chaotic energy kind of guy, is running into the room and they're like wrestling and they fall through the door and the kids just looking at what's going on. It's really funny.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it, what like what you're saying is important burn. though, because I have seen that, you're, like you're saying, you're asking about like things that could cause it to not work. It's one parent. You guys need to be on the same team because if one parent is going in and the other parent is not, you're not going to succeed. It's not going to work.
0: Oh. I think that in behavioral terms, we talk about the extinction burst and that is, again, mm-hmm. a, I think this is less common than we, I used to think it was, but it is possible that a night two or three, you might get more crying.
1: I've had that happen on night five or six. Yeah. You get a few really great nights, and then all of a sudden you're back to it. The hard part is the word extinction is horrible.
0: No, the I hard. use it because it's precise, but you're right. not making your child it's go extinct. Found... Be- They're annoying right. behaviors right. you're trying to make them go extinct. It's um,
1: right. right. An extinction burst sounds horrible, but if you were trying to stop eating ice cream every night, and you did well for a week, and then you had a bad day, and slipped up and had some ice cream, that's an extinction burst. If you're like, go back to it and then you get back on track, you just have to get through it. It's trying to break a habit, which isn't always seamless.
0: And I think the key is an extinction burst. It's not going to be like weeks of pride. And if you are not seeing progress within a couple of nights, it is worth looking at a couple of things. My checklist, make sure there's no medical problem, right? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about big ticket medical problems, but like. Your kids got bad eczema, your kid's coughing at night.
1: Ears. Yeah.
0: They have fluid in their ears. If you're struggling with sleep, go talk to your pediatrician. Like maybe even bring them in to be checked out. Your pediatrician may be able to provide some guidance for you about this process too. And it's just another, especially, honestly, a lot of times the, maybe the pediatrician and maybe the nurses in the office that like, they'll just take your call the next day and you're worried. Right. Because not everybody has the resources to hire a sleep consultant, but like in in our country, almost all the kids have pediatricians and have somebody, have someone you can reach out to. It's tricky with friends or people online because people's parenting beliefs are different. And I feel like it was more the heyday of like Facebook parent groups where people were just saying wild stuff. If somebody was like talking about sleep training,
1: they still do. I tend not to read comments anymore. I don't reply to comments anymore. I used to get enraged. I just block people if they're saying something that's terrible. not the truth. No, I just ignore it. If that's what you think and that's how you feel, that's your thought. You didn't ask for my opinion, so I'm not going to give it.
0: (laughs) So I say the other things for implementation. Make sure you've got a good bedtime routine, consistent routine, two or three activities that somebody does with your child every night. It's like bath, book, song, quick cuddle, good night. Nursing, if you're nursing them, you may do that. Sometimes it's something as simpler as moving the last feeding, the last thing they do before they fall asleep to before you do everything else. That's all you've got to do.
1: I'd also say with the bath thing, some kids are stimulated by baths and they freak out. So if that's the case, move bath time to a different time. But you do not have to start with the bath if your child freaks out in the bath.
0: You don't even need to bathe your kid every day uh, unless they're visibly dirty because they don't have body odor, and I shouldn't admit this in media. My mom used to give me a bath every time she changed my diaper. Oh, man. Wow. my Dr. Henry, rest in peace. You dealt with a lot of calls from my mom. And uh, yeah, that was, was some wild stuff apparently going on back in the 70s. I'd say making sure everybody in the house is on board with the plan. And put your bed, put your kid to bed drowsy but awake starting at four months and just see what happens. Try that out a couple of times. Yeah. It may just work. You might be gearing up for this big plan and people have these catastrophic ideas. And look, honestly, a lot, there's usually some crying. Yes. But I would say for let least me methods, ask you, let, there's no such thing as a no-cry sleep solution.
1: That's what I was just going to ask you. I was going to ask you because I know some people say there is. And I just feel if you really want to teach a child or baby to fall asleep independently, they're probably going to be upset if you're taking something away they're used to. So I know there are people out there that say, I have the no cry sleep solution, but do they?
0: Yeah. I'd say also, if you have people that are like, oh, I'm ready a sleep train, but their kid's sleep was pretty good anyway, there may not be a lot of crime. But if... If they're struggling, if they're reaching out to someone like you or me, there's probably going to be some crying. Unmodified extinction is easy to understand. Modified extinction, for my son, was like, those checks were like pouring gasoline on the fire. So we have this idea that the firmer method, modified extinction, you go in and you check on your kid. And we, I think we fell prey to one of the mistakes that you mentioned. He'd be like winding down the crying. We're like, oh, it's five minutes. We're going to go in and check now. Yes. Yeah. And then he'd ramp up again, but really the checks are mostly for mom and dad as opposed to the child, but a check is short. You go in, you, you can look from the door. You don't have to say anything, or you can say, I love you. Go to sleep. Good night. You don't pick them up. You don't cry in front of them yourself. If you're going to do that side of the room, it should be less than a minute. You're in, you're fine. Go to sleep. You're out of the room. A check is not picking up your kid, rocking them, nursing them, et cetera. There's nothing magical about the intervals that Ferber puts in his book. You can check every five minutes. You can check every 10 minutes.
1: Yes, that's something that I customize to each family because there's nothing magical about that formula. It's just a suggestion. And I find that some parents are like, I don't even think I should go in at five minutes. I think I need to start at 10 minutes and just stay there. Cool. If you're comfortable with that, great. Some other ones are like, I think I really need to do every three minutes. We can start with that, see how it goes. But there's no like specific, if you don't do the Ferber intervals, you're not going to mess it up.
0: Yeah. No, I think Ferber was successful because any plan is better than no plan. If you were like, okay, I'm going to check when, he gave you a formula can be helpful if you don't know what to do. Sure. Right. But there, yep. there's nothing magic about those numbers. The, uh, this is an important thing too. What do you recommend if someone is doing an extinction sleep training method? What do you recommend that parents do in the middle of the night if their child wakes up crying?
1: I think it depends on the age because there are some babies that need a feeding. It's very important to log feedings too throughout the day to understand is this baby Being nursed enough? Is this baby gaining weight appropriately? Is this baby getting enough ounces of formula? Because they could be reverse cycling overnight because they're not eating during the day. That we don't want to starve the baby. So then we have to figure out how can we start to get more calories into this kid during the day? But there are definitely babies on the younger side. And sometimes there's a child that the doctor recommends one night feeding at whatever age before 12 months. The way we look at feeding is it needs to just be dark room no eye contact very little you go in you feed the baby you put them back in the crib and you leave i would definitely avoid diaper changes unless the child has had a bowel (laughs) movement they're so stimulating and a lot of times parents are like she doesn't like a wet diaper i promise you they're so absorbent She's not sitting there feeling like she's sitting in a wet diaper. She's upset because she wants help or she wants you to rock her to sleep. Babies don't really have that kind of preference at that age. So I think feedings are important. I would never tell anybody to wean a feeding unless their doctor suggested that. And or the doctor said, it's okay to stop feeding three times a night. Let's figure out how to slowly get rid of the feedings. But otherwise, night wakings need to be treated exactly the way you started. We go back to the consistency. The child needs to understand that you're going to respond the same way no matter what, beginning of the night, middle of the night, et cetera.
0: Yeah. I'm on two minds about this because I remember when I was training, my mentor, Judy Owens, was like, our patients' families are usually busy professionals And if they're doing extinction sleep training at bedtime, let's take the feeding out of this. One is you can just soothe your kid back to sleep. If they're learning to fall asleep independently at bedtime, then those night awakenings will start to drop out over time. The flip side is if you really want to put your foot on the accelerator, get rid of everything more quickly, then you can ignore them in the middle of the night too. But for me, I'm usually like, okay, fix bedtime, get them to fall asleep independently. We'll because I don't see people that often. I'm like, we'll circle back in around a month. And if your kid's awakenings aren't significantly improved, we may implement this in the middle of the night. But the fact is there are lots of different reasons people may not want to let their kids scream in the middle of the night. They've got neighbors, they've got other kids in the house, or they just can't deal. So I think you can go either way on this. And when you get into other methods, say the chair method, which takes a lot longer at bedtime, there's no way you could do that in the middle of the night. You're going to be in the room for six hours.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, And
0: I agree. So what are the alternatives for a parent that really, I don't know, I want to try some other stuff first because this just doesn't fit with my parenting philosophy,
1: or I feel
0: like this isn't the right fit for my kid.
1: It's not the right fit for everybody. And sometimes parents will start and they just say, I can't do this right now. Can we regroup in a month or something like that? I will never say no to that. Like your book. It's never too late to sleep train. There are other ways, especially with the younger babies. Some babies will do just fine with a pick up, put down method. Baby gets upset. You pick them up. You try to soothe them. You put them back down. You give them a little space, see how they do. If they're still upset, you pick them up again and you just go through that process. The baby might not soothe. Can
0: can you expand a little bit on pick up, put down? Because I'm less familiar with that, but I remember I was corresponding with Jody Mandel. Who's down at Penn, who should maybe oh, have yeah. on sometime, yeah. and she's I've moved yeah. more towards pick up, put down versus extinction for a lot Ooh. of my patients. So I'd, well, I'd be interested if you could just talk a little bit more about the mechanics of that.
1: Sure, I am not overly familiar with it myself because I only use that really with newborns. But with newborns, it can be helpful to teach them how to fall into their sleep space, drowsy but awake. So essentially, I and I could be wrong, honestly, because I don't use this very I think it's just as simple as it sounds. You place baby in the crib. If they're upset, you pick them up, you hold them, you soothe them, but they're not falling asleep in your arms, and then you put them back down. And again, attempt, and you can, they put them back down in the crib. You can rub their belly or rub their head. And if they get upset again, you pick them up, you put them down. So... That is my understanding of it. It's just way too stimulating for them. There's
0: a variant of that called bedtime fading. It can be just moving your kid's bedtime later to harness their sleep drive. Often we do this in older kids. But bedtime fading in infants or usually means, or like young toddlers, like age one to two, It's you put them in their bed, you let them fuss or cry for 15 minutes. Let's say their bedtime is at 8 p.m. They're not asleep by 8.15. They're still crying. If they're talking to themselves, it's fine. Then you get them up and you just hang out with them, do soothing activities till nine. Then you try to put them down again. You have about 15 minutes of, some people call it controlled crying. If they're not asleep, then you get them up again. This does a couple of things. First of all, kids have strong sleep drive. Eventually they're just going to fall asleep. You are essentially sleep depriving them for the next day. So they're going to have a crappy day the next day. But unless you let them say, extend their nap in the afternoon or fall asleep at six o'clock, then they'll fall asleep easier the next couple of nights. And the extinction sleep, extinction or cry it out window, but they weren't quite old enough for three or four-year-olds. We can reward the behaviors we do as opposed to ignoring the behaviors we don't like. But really in a one and a half-year-old, that's not going to work. And the parents, where this was the right fit, it works very well. And it's a sucky nuts. days but then gets people on truck. i
1: mean that that's true for any sleep training it's gonna be a couple sucky nights so i think this is
0: good anything else you think we should talk about
1: no i think fixed it yeah everyone should do cry all the time it's for everybody (laughs) i had to do extinction with ashley going in was like you said it's like dumping gasoline on her it was just but she's, like the most glovy, adorable child. In fact, she was so much happier after I did it,
0: yeah, for my son, I'd say he was the same, but and he's a pain in the ass now, but I don't think that's because of this the, the <laughs> and it really was hugely impactful for my wife and I.
1: no, I was really not well. It completely changed my life. So.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Sleep Edit. You can find transcripts at the web address sleepedit.show. You can also find video of the episodes at that address as well as in my YouTube channel. You can find me at drcraigcanapari.com and on all social media at D-R-C-A-N-A-P-A-R-I. You can find Ariel at Instagram at Ariel underscore Greenleaf. That's A-R-I-E-L-L-E underscore G-R-E-E-N-L-E-A-F. If you like the flavor of the advice here, please check out my book, It's Never Too Late to Sleep Train, The Low-Stress Way to High-Quality Sleep for Babies, Kids, and Parents. It's available wherever fine books are sold. If you found this useful... Please subscribe at Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. It really helps as we're trying to get the show off the ground. Thanks.